Welcome to the Gym Heroes Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Peacock. Today's show is brought to you by Gymdesk, the easiest gym management software you'll ever use. Take payments, create marketing automations, track attendance, and much more. To try the software out free, go to gymdesk.com. No credit card or painful sales call required. Our hero today is Aaron Moore, Director of Operations at Urban Adventure Companies and an entrepreneur in the fitness industry. In this episode, he dispels myths about hiring in a post-COVID world and tells us where we can find quality fitness professionals to hire. Since the fitness industry has such poor turnover, he also reveals to us how he manages to keep those professionals working in his business. Without further ado, Aaron Moore. All right. Welcome to the Gym Heroes Podcast, Aaron. Um, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself and give your 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 background in business and the fitness industry. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you having me today. So, Aaron Moore, Director of Operations at uh, Vita Fitness and Urban Adventures uh, Companies. Uh, my background in the fitness industry is exactly what I'm doing uh, right now. You know, before this, I was in. Uh, uh, college athletics, coaching football, and then I had an opportunity to uh, get in with Vita just when it was starting out uh, on the ground floor. So we've grown the concept from a pretty traditional gym uh, as Vita Fitness with strength, cardio, and classes to uh, seven brands uh, today. So uh, in addition to Vita, we have Bang Salon, our hair salon, uh, or a spa, our spa concept, a boutique fitness studio called Sweatbox, a rooftop uh, pool and restaurant concept called The Penthouse, uh, a local brew pub called Capital City Brewing Company. And we've just recently branded our Pilates program into a separate studio called Vita Pilates. So we've been at it here in the DC area for uh, about 16 years now, uh, five locations in DC, one in uh, Arlington, Virginia, and a couple locations uh, coming down the pike. Uh, in Virginia in the years ahead. So about a 50,000 square foot model. And we'd like to try to accomplish as much as humanly possible within one building. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so one, one of the, one of the topics that, that is really a pain point for gym owners right now, fitness businesses that you've talked on before on some other podcasts is actually finding and keeping employees, both finding and keeping employees. Um, so it, is it, is it actually harder to find employees now? Because it, it does, it seems like that to a lot of people. So I don't think it's harder. Uh, I think it's different. So, uh, let's define, uh, harder. So if your definition of harder is it's more time consuming than it used to be, I would agree with you. It's harder. Uh, but I find a lot of folks in the industry in many industries are defining harder as it's just not working. They don't want to, they don't know what to do. They're spinning their wheels and, uh, and it's not working. So I don't believe, uh, and I haven't experienced it being harder, uh, in that way. Uh, it's just very different. So before the pandemic, we used to get everything we needed organically through our website and whatever we didn't get through the website, we'd do a job posting on Indeed. You know, a couple hundred resumes in an hour, and we're you know fat, dumb, and happy uh, with that approach. 
that's very different. And every time I talk to an operator in the industry, they're like, yeah, I, I can't get talent. I'm having the hardest time. It's like, okay, what are you doing? And it's some version of what they've always done. Like I've, I've sent out an email about employee referrals. I've done job postings on every job board. Uh, you know, I can find, I've done a bunch of social media postings. I've put flyers around the club, so on and so forth. Uh, and that's a very reactive way uh, of thinking, and it just doesn't work anymore. Um, so we have to be proactive, you know, more so uh, than we ever have before. And it's such a, a cool opportunity right now because uh, nobody else is doing it. Everybody's just being reactive and inventing. So let me dive into that, you know, a little bit. So if sure. reactive is job postings and social media, you know, what's a proactive way of doing it? So. Uh, number one, you have to understand uh, what are your needs and where can you find them. So, and it's recruiting. You know, at the end of the day, you know, recruiters have been around for you know hundreds of years, probably. <laughs> and when we don't know what to do, we we find a recruiter. So we can be our own recruiters because most of us don't have the budgets for recruiters, and most recruiters don't want to touch anything under a, a C-suite executive. So, mm -hmm. you know, go to where the people are. Uh, the the main uh, sources of talent that we're finding are threefold. Number one, LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, very good for traditional management and sales positions, marketing positions, HR, IT, you know, very traditional uh, job roles. To an extent, personal trainers, to an extent, uh, you know, massage therapists and things like that. But once we get into more of the service provider lane, uh, we're off LinkedIn and we're on to Instagram. So massage therapists, estheticians, personal trainers, hairstylists, uh, group fitness instructors. Uh, Instagram is an awesome source of information. It does require you to be active uh, on Instagram, posting regularly, you know, promoting your brand and, and having the knowledge base of where to find uh, other individuals as well. Uh, and number three uh, is competitors. So uh, everybody feels slightly different about poaching or recruiting from local uh, competitors, but I promise you that people are doing it to you. And uh, that's the way the game is played right now. I mean, we can even track on our website, you know, people looking at every single personal trainer we have featured, every uh, single massage therapist we have featured. And they're obviously trying to look at our talent and recruit from them. So it's on us uh, to provide a, a higher quality, more competitive you know, working environment. So you have to be aware of your competitors. And um, my favorite approach is not to, you know, say something to the effect of like, hey, Josh, you should quit your current job and come work for me. Like, come, come train at my gym. It's better. You know, I'll reach out and say like, hey, Josh, looks like you have a nice following over there at uh, ABC gym. Like, hey, are you looking to pick up an extra shift or two? And our extra couple of clients, like we've got a pretty good demand over here and we could use you a little bit. And sometimes they'll be like, yeah, I could pick up another, you know, shift or two, or yeah, we could all use a few extra clients. Uh, and then you get people in, you know, on a part-time basis and they start comparing their current environment versus the environment that you provide. And slowly but surely we get a lot of people uh, that way, you know, coming over full-time. Hmm. Uh, I, I will add a little footnote on, um, <clears throat> you know, understandably it's a little bit more challenging uh, to find people that require licensure personal trainers, lifeguards, group fitness instructors to an extent, uh, massage therapists, hairstylists. The good side of that, um, personal training is not a good example, but massage therapy and salons, there's schools. 
And there are probably four or five, six schools in your market that would love to have you come on site, do a career fair, would love to have you come on site uh, and do a training of sorts. Mm. And even with personal trainers and group fitness instructors, you know, reach out to TRX, you know, ask to host a, a local or regional certification program where you can get newly certified uh, instructors very familiar with your club. Um, you know, right then and there, you know, you can reach out to Zumba and Les Mills like, hey, uh, what resources do you have to let people that are certified with your entity uh, to let them know we have openings uh, in our area? So it's it's one at a time uh, team member or employee, you know, recruitment, this whole job posting, like, yes, do job postings. Uh, anything that you get from that, you know, is gravy though. It's so easy to do it, do it, but you can't have any expectations there. Excellent. That's a lot of really good information. Um, so you, you kind of covered this, but I was wondering if you expected, if you, you know, if you have to practice like a hair salon or something, you have to be licensed, but with gray areas like personal training, where there's kind of an industry expectation, but you don't necessarily have to be certified. Do you expect industry certifications from those types of employees before you hire them? We do. And that's just our approach. I don't think there's a right way uh, or necessarily a way that I would recommend, but uh, I'll tell you what works for us. Uh, we have a very uh, strong relationship with NASM. Uh, I think NASM is generally accepted as you know one of the best, if not the best uh, certification uh, in the uh, industry. So people just organically find us because they're NASM certified and mm. they know that we're a NASM facility. We promote it uh, on our website. We promote it on uh, you know social media. And we do have a, a scholarship program where we purchase uh, 20 uh, NASM certifications per year uh, and give them away to uh, qualified individuals under a scholarship program. So in that regard, yes, we're taking somebody who's not certified, getting them certified, removing the financial barrier uh, of a, uh, or the expense of a certification, uh, and then mentoring them and coaching them to be a really good personal trainer through our top personal trainers along the way. And we're, we're converting these people in three to six months from somebody who's never done a PT session to a fully licensed NASM certified personal trainer uh, that's ready to take on immediate clients. People, members, clients have seen them around the club. They have the endorsement of the top personal trainers in our club who have full books. So they can say, hey, Josh, I'm full. I don't have the time to train you three times a week, but I've been training Aaron and he's awesome. You know, he's one of our new trainers and he's going to take uh, good care of you in that regard. So it doesn't have to be NASM. You know, there's lots of good partners out there. Um, but, you know, we, um, uh, we take a very active approach uh, in making sure that everybody knows we're a NASM facility. Awesome. So you talked about having NASM partnership, talked about having a partnership or reaching out to people like Les Mills and um, these, other, these other types of um, established places that are producing trainers. What else can you do to maintain a consistent pipeline of employee leads? So, I mean, you answered your own question. It's to have a pipeline. So we quite literally have a resume pipeline. 
So every mm-hmm. time, uh, let me back up a little bit. So it's very important that you recruit 24-7, 365, regardless of need. So, mm-hmm. um, and that, I, I think the most efficient way to do that is to design a careers page on your website. So mm-hmm. if you go to the careers page at vitafitness.com, it'll list every position that we have in the company, a few very simple questions that are really about our company culture that we ask you to answer, uh, and then an opportunity to upload your resume. So we'll get anywhere from five to 10 organic resume submissions every day. And we put every single one of those resumes into an internal pipeline. So uh, like today, I got seven resumes alone for uh, front desk team members. I don't have any front desk openings today, but in a week, I probably will have some. So we have six locations. Any hiring manager at any time can go into our various pipeline folders, search the position uh, that they need, and be able to reach out uh, to individuals as well. So whether you're getting these folks from a job posting, uh, whether you're reaching out to your local community to see who might be interested in the future, um, you know, a lot of times if we go to a career fair, either at a local college or university or at a, uh, a technical school, we'll have everybody fill out our iPad with their information and their resume so we can populate, uh, you know, the pipeline there. So, again, recruiting based on need and current openings is a very reactive pre-pandemic uh, practice. Mm-hmm. You have to dedicate time to recruiting talent, you know, every single day. It's just like membership. So every day you're trying to generate new membership leads and convert those membership leads to, to new membership sales. Uh, if you're a people-facing business, which all of us are, why would you treat hiring uh, any different? You need leads every day coming in for, uh, for you know, hiring. And you can do that uh, by creating expectations with your hiring managers and making sure that their job descriptions outline the how and the why of recruiting. Uh, or if you have the resources, you can do it through a, um, a recruiting department uh, as a department of you know, your HR wing, for example. Awesome. So let's switch gears here to, let's say that we've got pipelines full. We found some people that we want to bring in and for an interview. What sort of questions would, should somebody be asking in an interview? What, what should you be looking for in a good employee? As much transparency uh, as possible. So we can pre-qualify, you know, based on paper and the resume. We can ask a few questions to make sure that the, you know, the resume is accurate. After the first couple minutes, we get onto what we call behavioral, you know, interview questions. So mm-hmm. we uh, paint the picture of what the environment uh, is going to look like. So let's use personal training as an example because we've talked about that uh, a little bit. Uh, not just assessing their knowledge base and, and what they know. If they're NASM certified, we already know the answers to that question. But um, you know, is your expectation that personal trainers are only going to eat what they kill, and they're going to have to you know work the floor and work leads and and get their own clients? If so, you know, set that expectation at the outset of the interview, eyes wide open, and try to assess you know how you're going to do that. It's like, hey. Josh, as you can see, we got lots of great equipment here. We have a need for personal trainers. Every member gets a new session. But at the end of the day, you're going to get a list of people with personal training sessions on their account. And the membership team is going to introduce you to new memberships. And then it's on you, you know, to convert it. So, you know, what's your approach? You know, that would be, you know, an interview question in that setting. Uh, You may do it a little bit differently. You may take the sales process completely off of your 
personal trainers and just ask them to focus on giving great sessions. So uh, one of the things that we have here uh, is a, an onboarding program for personal training where uh, every new member is going to get four one-hour personal training sessions. So if I'm talking mm-hmm. to a personal training candidate, you know, I'm going to say something like, hey, Josh, my primary focus is you being a master of your craft as a personal trainer. I'm going to give you every new client that you're going to get, they're going to have four hours with you. So the first couple of sessions, just build rapport, give them a great session. And if you deliver four quality one-hour personal training sessions uh, with these new members, they're going to want to keep training with you. Like there's no gimmicks, like there's no promos. You don't have to do a hard close after a 30-minute complimentary session. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we give them, you know, the coaching and the training to to be able to perform that. But I, I think the biggest thing people miss in interview questions is really giving the candidate a true understanding of what you expect them to do immediately, first 30, 60, 90 days uh, in the role. And so there's this tool called uh, a job scorecard. Uh, so a, a job scorecard is, is simply that. How are you going to be evaluating the candidate early on uh, when they start the position? So there's a, a great book. It's called Scaling Up uh, by a, uh, an author named Vern Harnish. And in this book, it's probably 20 bucks on Amazon. Uh, or anywhere else, uh, he has templates of these job scorecards, and you simply, you know, fill it out. It's like day one. You know, what do you want the employee to do? Uh, if it's a, you know, a personal trainer, how many sessions do you expect them to sell? And say like, hey, Josh, within 30 days, I'm going to expect you to have uh, a book of, you know, 20 clients. Uh, so you're going to have to help feed yourself. What's going to be your approach, and how are you going to work the floor to to get new clients? So really trying to create that uh, hypothetical. Uh, situation and see how they might navigate it. Excellent. So, um, we, the, uh, uh, an employee wants to sell himself or herself to be, be hired, but there's also a sense in which you want to sell yourself as a company, right? Cause they could choose to go somewhere else, especially if they have, um, good, good credentials. So how do you go about making, um, an attractive uh, front end presentation of the company itself and building out like benefits packages that are going to be attractive to um, qualified workers. Yeah. So it's, it's just like buying a house. You have to understand the market that you're in. Is it a buyer's market right now or is it a seller's market? You know, uh, right now we are in an employee's market. We're not interviewing employees, especially personal trainers and massage therapists. They're interviewing us. Mm-hmm. They're going to have umpteen different opportunities uh, to go work for. So we are being interviewed, uh, not the other way around. And when we're in a uh, employer market, we can be a little bit more choosy and picky because we have more to choose mm-hmm. from. So you know, in this day and age, I think we'd all agree it's uh, it's an employee's uh, market. So uh, the two things that we find consistently are really important. One is obvious financial. You know, if you're paying under market an employee's uh, market, you're not going to get uh, very far with that. So not everybody is uh, money motivated and not everybody has that as their um, sole motivation, but it's a, it's a pre-qualifier. You know, if you're under market or not at a certain level, you can have the most amazing company culture in the world. It's not going to matter um, mm. if you know people can't pay their bills or don't feel like they're compensated fairly. So uh, you really have to evaluate the industry uh, and other industries 
um, because you know the fitness industry is historically a lower paying industry. And if you live in a um, affluent, uh, pricey urban area like we do in Washington, D.C., you make yourself ripe for other industries to come in uh, and take your talent, especially with traditional uh, management sales, uh, HRIT uh, you know, type positions. So you have to understand uh, the market rate. And it's something that we look at every month. Like how is the average and the median salaries and, and rate of pay uh, changing? And we know we have to stay on top of that, not only with our new hires, but with our existing hires as well. And I can't tell you the cultural value of going to an employee and be like, hey, you know what? We benchmark your position and the rate's gone up. Um, there is more demand for your services. So, uh, you know, we're going to increase your salary by X. And they're just like, what? Like, it's not even <laughs> my annual salary review. Like, what do you yeah. mean? How does this work? What's the catch? We're like, the catch is we want you to stay here uh, type thing. So uh, it's important to do that uh, to the extent uh, that you can. So, you know, there's the financial component. The, the second biggest factor is, you know, the company culture. You know, people in this day and age typically... Uh, want to work with a sense of purpose where they feel uh, highly valued, where they have autonomy uh, and empowerment. And like, let's be honest, none of us really want to be told what to do all the time. You know, task me with the job, pay me for it fairly. And let me, you know, let me knock it out of the park for you. Like, let me do a good job for you. Be there for me uh, when I need help, like anticipate my needs, like offer support, practice servant-based leadership. But don't, you know, most people don't want to work in this top-down, tell me what to do environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, of course, the whole culture of remote work, hybrid work, you know, each and every operator out there is going to have to make, uh, you know, their own decisions on what they're comfortable with, um, you know, in that regard. And then from there, it, it kind of trickles down. So what's what's the rest of the the package? So health insurance, dental insurance, you know, rising costs, those things are uh, very important. Sometimes it doesn't matter, you know, if you're dealing with a candidate that uh, has a spouse that works for the government and they're covered at 100%. They're like, hey, you can have a crappy health insurance program. I don't have a need, so it doesn't matter to me. Uh, for the most part, it is uh, important though. And then, um, you know, one of the final things I'll mention is uh, 401k with a match has been uh, interesting. Like we believe in it, we view it as a must have. Hmm. But, um, you know, when we survey uh, our employees about the importance of it, it always ranks very low. Um, mm. and I'm not sure, you know, why that is. Maybe we haven't, uh, aged up enough, uh, close enough to age 65 to really start to understand the importance of a good, uh, 401k program. So that's an example of, we don't get feedback directly from employees that that's, um, of a high degree of importance, but, um, we believe it's a function of kind of protecting people from themselves. So like, okay, you're not going to care about it for the next 15 years because you're in your mid twenties. But I tell you what, when we sit down and talk and you're, you know, 45, you're like, Ooh, man, I'm glad I have something in this account. Absolutely. So let's say you hire somebody, you touched on this before, but um, I want to see if maybe there's, there's some more, you could expand on it some more. How do you approach onboarding new members once you've hired them? So new employees? Yeah. Okay. So, um, it sounds simple, but we believe in uh, checklists. Uh, we are constantly evolving and collaborating on everything uh, that we need to do. And we get pretty granular uh, with our training manuals and our you know, SOP documents. Every business unit, every department has you know, a, a pretty in-depth uh, 
standard operating procedures. The problem with those is that they're living documents. And within a couple of weeks, there's like, oh, we forgot this, or this has changed and been revised and things like that. So um, we provide uh, training and onboarding checklists to make sure that we also provide that narrative behind what's uh, you know in the SOP. And we believe in doing as much role playing and live training as possible because nobody, present company included, is going to take a 55-page department manual and really, you know, know it and memorize it. So we position it simply as a reference guide. It's like, hey, here's mm-hmm. all, all the standard operating procedures. Something's going to come up and you're not going to know the answer, but it's contained right here. And it's digital. You know, you can search by it. Like, this is your reference guide to refer back to uh, type thing. Other than that, it's a pretty uh, immersive uh, experience. Like, take uh, managers, for example. We have managers drive the front desk for typically the first one to two weeks of their role. That's mm-hmm. the best way to get live reps on uh, our various softwares, uh, to get to meet you know as many members as possible, to interact uh, you know with various um, uh, team members and other employees uh, and things like that. So uh, we call that part of the process the uh, initial training or the onboarding. So it's the fundamental aspects of sort of the the science of what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And then once they have a, a really good understanding of systems and softwares and, and things like that, we get into more of the progressive or strategic training where there's no right or wrong answer. So, you know, a member walks up to you and they're, you know, frustrated uh, about something. So, you know, how are you empathetic and, you know, how do you resolve, uh, you know, a situation? Uh, type thing. So all of our employees are empowered to you know, do whatever it takes uh, to resolve a, a member issue. And you can't possibly outline every given situation uh, in a training manual, for example. So for that, we do a lot of role play and then we share um, you know, successes with the team. So this member came up to me, he was upset about XYZ, here's what he did. And then he posted a five-star review on Yelp. Like, here's how we made that happen. Awesome. Are there any pitfalls to avoid when you're onboarding a new employee? Yeah, I mean, uh, too much too soon. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times as training managers, we have to remind ourselves that we've been here X number of years. We've had so much experience and so many live repetitions that we can't just talk at somebody and tell them how to do something and then walk away from it like they know uh, as much as, uh, as we know. Uh, so to speak. So uh, it's really important to, uh, you know, check in with individuals, you know, how are you doing? And the, um, you know, the job scorecard, for example, that I mentioned earlier, it's like constantly sitting down and be like, okay, we are progressing towards this performance goal. You know, Josh, do you feel like, uh, you know, I've properly supported you to achieve this goal? Uh, Is there additional training or additional repetitions uh, you'd like in any of these things? And that's why we separate our what we call our product knowledge training, which is really that fundamental, foundational, you know, scientific. You check in a member the same way every time and try to get that knocked out out of the way first, and then move on to you know what we call our professional development training, which is more of the art, uh, you know, the strategy on you know how you demonstrate you know empathy uh, with a with a member, and then uh, through the use of checklists, it's really easy to refer back and say like, hey, this manual is. 55 pages long, 
but this checklist is a one pager of, you know, 30 some items. So, you know, what's your comfort level in each of these things? And like with membership sales, for example, we have uh, diagnostic. It's 93 things that you have to do week in and week out to be an expert in your role. We just like to try to assess, you know, where are you at on each of these things? And then we build individual and team training agendas based on, you know, those areas of uh, opportunity. So training and onboarding, it, it never ends, uh, so to speak. It's a progressive evolution and we have uh, a series of trainings. So we have one-on-one trainings between hiring manager and employee. Uh, we have team trainings for departments. And then once a month, we have an all-hands uh, company training. Uh, you know, that that we provide. And it's either, you know, sort of back to basics SOPs, we need to really focus in on these foundational items, or it's mm-hmm. more evolutionary, collaborative, like, hey, we have an opportunity to evolve and do something a little bit better. Awesome. So you have a very structured, systematic way of bringing people on board, and then you continue to have one-on-one feedback as well as regular trainings after that point to continue to I guess, give repetitions to those most important things and, and review things that might be get a little bit eroded in the back of your mind um, about SOPs and things like that. Excellent. Excellent. So turnover is, I mean, it's not a secret that turnover is really bad in the fitness industry. Um, how do you go about keeping your trainers? You mentioned benchmarking, but how, how else do you go about trying to, to keep them working for you? Yeah. So trainers specifically, they want to grow. Uh, they want to have financial growth. Uh, they want to grow from, you know, a 20 something that has an apartment that they like in an area that they like and enough money to, you know, go out to dinner with their friends and, you know, take a few vacations a year and, and things like that. And that evolves into, you know, they want to, they want to get a car that, um, is more than a couple thousand dollars. They can't pay cash for it. So they're going to have a car payment for the first time. You know, they want to get out of the renter's market and, you know, buy a house and things like that. And then they want to start a family. Uh, and all those, you know, things. So in order to achieve that, you have to have a proper avenue for uh, financial growth. Uh, and then you have to provide an environment where somebody thinks uh, they can do it in each new decade of their life. So can I do this job in my 20s? Like, yeah, I have tons of time to dedicate to work. Okay, can I do this job in my 30s? Like, well, I've got some other interest in my life. It's getting a little bit of a pinch. Can I do this job in my 40s? Oh, I've got, you know, two, three kids now. Like, I can't work evenings and weekends like every, you know, single time. So you have to uh, be self-aware of where are the, you know, breaking points uh, when you have turnover. Is your turnover age-based when people need more personal time and more flexibility Mm -hmm. uh, in their schedules for their uh, families? Is your turnover burnout-based where you can only work, you know, so hard for so long? Uh, Is your turnover for lack of growth where somebody's mastered? Uh, the job and doesn't have an opportunity for growth, and now they're just bored um, because mm. you know it doesn't it doesn't challenge them anymore uh, and things like that. So getting back to personal trainers uh, specifically, you know we have uh, a growth model that has evolved as our trainers uh, have uh, evolved in tenure. So when we first started out, we had two levels of personal trainer uh, with a little bit of a commission bump once you reach the second level, and that was it. You're either a personal trainer or a master trainer. Once you get enough sessions and enough clients, you can get promoted to a master trainer. And then we had everybody promoted to master trainer and they said, what's next? And we're like, okay, now we're going to create a new class called an expert trainer. And it gets another commission bump. And oh, by the way, if you reach these number of sessions, we're going to provide you with a monthly bonus structure. 
so you can get a little bonus on top of your commissions. And they said, cool. And then everybody started leveling up to expert trainer and maxing out their, their bonuses. Mm. And we said, okay, like we're kind of at our commission threshold. What's important to, to you? And they said, education, certifications. We said, cool. For every session that you do, you're going to get essentially the equivalent of a CEC. It's a dollar amount. And you earn those in a Vita bank of sorts. And you can redeem those dollars for education. So you want to get TRX certified. You want to get a kettlebell cert. You want to get uh, a strength and conditioning or a CrossFit you know, certification. You know, how much do you have in credit? And you can you know, go ahead and redeem that. Uh, and then the next time they came to us and they're like, hey, we're starting to have you know, kids and families now. Uh, we need a better PTO structure, even though we're 100% commission-based. And we said, okay, cool. Like, let's take a look at industry best practices. So we evolved uh, our, uh, our PTO structure for personal trainers. So it's a combination of providing an opportunity for growth, um, understanding the needs of your team, uh, what are your competitors doing or what are the best practices uh, in your industry, and making it a career field where... Uh, you know, people can do it, you know, for their entire professional lives. And the top question that I get with personal trainers is like, yeah, personal trainers are not nine to fivers. It's like early mornings and and late evenings and, you know, sort of burning the candle at both ends. They got to come in for 5 a.m., 6 a.m. clients, bored throughout the day, and then they come got to come back in at 5 p.m. Like, how does anyone accomplish that as they get older and start a family? I said, well, it's simple. You know, if you're in that much of a demand, uh, people will um, accommodate their schedules to train with you. And this was before the pandemic. You know, after the pandemic, it's even easier because everybody's got this hybrid work schedule. Mm -hmm. And so our best personal trainers, they'll come in and they'll work mornings and evenings and they'll start to get busy and then they'll make a choice. And this is the choice every good personal trainer makes. Do you want to be a morning personal trainer or do you want to be an evening personal trainer? So you keep your existing morning or evening clients. Let's say you're a morning personal trainer. So keeping your morning clients is easy. Now you got to go to your evening clients and be like, hey, I'm going to be out of the club at uh, at 3 p.m. You know, every day. I would love to continue training with you, but because I get here at 5 a.m., I can't train you at 8 p.m. I'd be happy to recommend a trainer, or if you can rework your schedule, uh, I do have a, a 2 p.m. open. And nine times out of 10, the client is like, give me the 2 p.m. Like, I'll figure out my work schedule. I'll take it. And other times... Uh, they need to get uh, reassigned. So we create that opportunity with the personal trainer to have a consistent five consecutive day work schedule where they're training consistently throughout the day. They come in at a consistent time. They leave at a consistent time. They have their two days off in a row. And now it's something that they can do for a career. Excellent. That's awesome. Um, you, you don't hear that a lot. A lot of people will go, go into the personal personal training and they'll they'll get some clients. They'll do pretty well, and they'll do th that'll be while they're young. And then as they get older, they realize, oh, there's I'm missing business fundamentals, or I'm not with the right place, or I can't find the right place to work to, and things aren't going to work out. So I've got to go do something else. And then they end up um, leaving personal training and and sometimes never returning. So that's really um, that's a great way to approach in a gym how you can incentivize trainers to continue to to think intelligently about how they're going to structure the days and then give them incentives to, to stay there and stay in the industry and invest in what they've done, what they've been doing while they were younger. Yeah. And all of them have a passion for it. I mean, and it's the, I guess you can look at too, is like, how did you get your personal trainers in the first place? Like 
with our team, the vast majority, this is what they went to school for. You know, they have master's degrees in exercise science. Like this is what they want Mm -hmm. to do. Uh, And that's their passion Uh, versus, you know, a personal trainer. It's like, man, like uh, I'm having trouble deciding what I want to do with my life. Like I'm active. I played sports. Like, I guess I'll be a personal trainer, you know, for a while uh, type thing. And there's nothing wrong with hiring those individuals, but just know that the passion is lacking. And Mm -hmm. so you have to create that passion. And um, so if it's not a, a student, uh, of exercise science, uh, so to speak, you can say like, "Hey, Josh, like I know you're in real estate for a while. I know you did the the server gig at, you know, some restaurants. You know, you were an accountant, you know, for a few years, and like all those jobs suck, right? And you hate, you know, bouncing around. Like this can be, you know, the the destination for you, and this could be a really fun, rewarding uh, career where you can earn a good living uh, and also have a, a sense of purpose." Having said that, like any profession, continuing education is really, you know, important and we want to create that opportunity for you. So you're sort of creating that academic passion on the back end, um, but it's really critical that you don't let, you know, just let people go that are sort of between jobs or trying to figure out the next step and they can sell mm-hmm. a little bit and they connect with people and, you know, they're making decent money and you never take the initiative to create that passion. So they're just ripe for, you know, the next thing that comes along in a couple of years. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been really, really good. Where can people find you if they want to reach out to you or see see more of what you're doing? So there's two ways to reach out to me. Uh, you can email me at Aaron at VitaFitness.com. And that's like screaming into the void. And uh, I'll have trouble getting back to you. Uh, like most of us, too many emails. Uh, we're actually trying to figure out a way internally to get rid of email. and It's not going very well. Uh, the second way and the best way is just to, uh, shoot me a message on, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, that's where I talk to, uh, most folks in the industry, uh, and be happy to have a a conversation with anybody that wants to dive into any of these, uh, topics a little further. Awesome. Thank you again for coming on the show and I hope we can do this again sometime. All right, Josh, I appreciate you and hopefully this was helpful.